Hi, welcome back to the Girls Just Want to Have Friends podcast for episode number two. I am once again so excited to be here and to be doing this. Um, so much has happened since episode one, and I'm excited to dive into that um, right now. I'm going to start off by kind of clearing the energy and the space with some Palo Santo. Palo Santo, don't come for me if I'm um, pronouncing that wrong. It is a little stick of wood that burns and produces smoke and kind of clears the energy in the space, kind of like sage. Um, if you are well-versed in the spiritual slash healing world and I am doing this wrong, again, don't come for me. This is just what feels good for me. The smells are really comforting. The practice is really comforting. I do this um, in the mornings before I sit at my altar and we are sitting in my closet right now where my altar is also sitting. So it only feels appropriate. And I will leave that burning behind the camera. Um, hi, so I'm really nervous right now. And let me tell you why. I, I genuinely have butterflies, like heart palpitations. So I recorded the first podcast, the first episode. This is only episode number two. We're still learning and growing here. I recorded the first episode um, and I was so happy with it, so confident in it. Um, it felt really therapeutic. I felt like I said what I wanted to say, like didn't want to edit anything out. It was awesome. Um, I go to then upload the audio to the platforms like Spotify, etc. And turns out I had only recorded five seconds of audio and it was on a loop doing that the whole time. So it was five seconds of recording, five seconds of recording, and it was just a bunch of different takes. So I had to take every single take, no pun intended, and paste it together five seconds at a time. So it ended up being like 400 of them that I had to copy and paste and put them in order because um, I only had five second increments of the podcast. So that happened and that took me like 12 hours. And then um, my laptop is not very old. I would say 2018, but it has like all my stuff on it from college, um, all the lectures and PowerPoint presentations that I used to have to watch. A lot of things, the storage is pretty full. So after I had done the 12 hours of copy and pasting of the audio, um, I went to save it and it just completely disappeared. I don't know if my computer just didn't have the capacity or what. Um, it just completely disappeared. And so I went into panic mode and I was like, no, I don't want to have to do it again. I was really happy and confident and comfortable with what I had recorded. Um, but then it occurred to me, I took a video so I can pull the audio from the video. That is awesome that I didn't have to re-record it, but um, that means the audio is going to be lower quality because it's not coming from the microphone. And I say all this to say I know that the audio quality on the first podcast was not that good. And so I'm really nervous right now because I'm like, man, I hope it goes well this time and I hope I can keep the audio from the microphone. And so I sent 
the podcast to my family beforehand before I ever released it. And um, I was like, just give me some feedback. Let me know what you think. And they all were like, it's great. It's amazing. Blah, blah, blah. But the audio quality. And like, that's the one thing I was insecure about. So I was like, damn it. They were just like kind of um, jabbing into a wound that I already had open. And I was like, no, that's the one thing that I knew wasn't that great about it. And like, you could hear my partner talking in the background and all of that stuff. And so this one is hopefully better if the audio quality is not that great by the time this is uploaded just know that probably the same thing happened and i'm really sad about it and i'm going to figure it out um but if the audio quality that you're listening to right now is awesome that's awesome because that means i figured it out and i have conquered 2022 technology um so that's why i'm nervous right now just full transparency i am really really happy with the feedback that I got from the first episode. I had, I would say like 20 texts from people in my life. I I know 20 is not that many in the grand scheme of things. Like there are podcasts out there with millions of listeners, but to me, 20 is awesome of people just saying how much they really enjoyed it, how helpful my little advice was or how happy they were that I was, you know, taking on this new venture. Um, And it was really confirming for me Um, because as much as I really only want to rely on my own validation and my own confirmation, I am still human and it does feel good for other people to be supportive and see what I'm doing and like what I'm doing. Um, so that also has happened since the first episode is just so much support and love from the people that I support and love, which meant a lot to me. Um, I have come up with so many ideas of what I want to do here. And, and I was saying to a few people, I don't care if I only have one listener. I don't care if I have 200,000 listeners. This is something now after doing the first episode, I know I want to do long term because it just felt good like it can be for me it can be a passion project i'm not making money on this there's no ads i'm not selling anything it's just me and something in my intuition is saying yes and i really trust my intuition so now i'm saying yes um and gonna keep doing this which is really fun just me sitting in my closet chit-chatting into a microphone by myself um If you're watching the video and you see I keep looking over, it's because I'm making sure the microphone is still recording. That's going to be a tick that I need to get over. I'm I'm traumatized from the first one. What else has happened since recording the first um, episode? I spent a week in Florida um, or eight days in Florida supporting my fiance in his Ironman race, which is absolutely insane. For those who don't know, an Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim in the ocean. Like really conceptualize that. There are some people in the world that don't even walk (laughs) 2.4 miles and this man swam it and then it's a 112 mile bike. Um, And there was one day that I was driving home from, I think Dallas. Yeah, I was driving home from Dallas back to Austin. And when I was um, 112 miles away, I was like, okay, I'm going to think about how far this seems in the car. And then that's how long Jay has to do it on his bike. And it seemed endless. 
Um, and then a marathon at the end, a 26.2 mile run. At the end of all of that, you have to crank out a marathon. And it took him, took us really 10 months of preparation. And I say us, not because I'm taking away from like his training and his body being the one to physically do it. Um, but it was a team effort. It really takes a village of getting something like that to fruition. The nutrition I had to prepare for him. I'm, you know, kind of supporting him emotionally when he has a bad swim because he started this prep process not being able to swim, which is also insane. Like he couldn't even swim when he started this prep process 10 months ago. And then he just swam 2.4 miles in the ocean with waves. He said he saw a shark out there. There was jellyfish. A woman in the race swallowed a jellyfish. So it's not just like you're doing laps in the pool. You're in the ocean. Um, but I had to, you know, emotionally support him through the hard times when he was feeling discouraged or when he was feeling happy. A lot of highs and lows in this process. Um, a lot of low energy. The training took a lot out of him. And that was a big adjustment for me um, in the days where maybe I had something going on and I needed support or I needed him to be excited for me. And like, he just didn't have it in him. He was drained. And that took a big adjustment to kind of be more self-sufficient in my own endeavors because he was preoccupied, which that is completely fine. We both agreed at the beginning of this training that that's a sacrifice we're willing to make for this first year for him to to build his foundation in the sport. And so it was a, it was a big year for both of us. And then the actual race itself, I mean, I'm chasing him around the course on foot, grabbing his wetsuit from him and taking videos and cheering. And I, he literally grabbed the hat off of my head at one point because he had forgotten his. And it's just, it's a lot on the supporter, spectator, fiance side as well. And so that's why I say we trained for it this year. Um, and I'm just so freaking proud of him. Like when he was two miles out from finishing, I got so emotional um, because two years ago, two and a half years ago, he blew out his knee. Um, and that was hard for him because powerlifting and, and bodybuilding and just using his body is such a big part of his life. And that really he had to put it on pause for a long time and refine his identity and refine his purpose and his path and and where he values his worth and that was really hard on him and so to come from that to his leg literally atrophying and not being able to even bend to then swimming two and a half miles biking 112 miles and running a marathon at the end I mean I'm just I can't believe he did it and it was so cool to watch um, so that's what I've been up to the last week. We were in Florida, 12 hour there, a couple days of rest, ra race prep, um, race day, a couple days of rest, and then we're back. His parents got to come, which was great. Um, I know they're so proud of him. And um, another thing, I'm not sure if I talked about this in the first episode, but it was really present for me while watching his Ironman race was my training. Um I'm having a bit of an identity crisis, I feel like, for the last two and a half years now. So beginning in July of 2020, training, like physically training my body has been a huge part of my identity. It's been my life. It's how I started overhauling my entire life and changing things for the better for myself. And so I really have latched onto that. 
and I was weightlifting for a long time, put on a lot of strength and mass that way. Um, and just recently, I would say in the last like three, four, five months, I really got into running, like long distance running. I'm talking like nine, 10 half marathons every day, nine, 10 miles every day, half marathons every day, upwards of, you know, 40 miles a week. And I loved it. My ego loved it to see those miles go up on my watch. It felt so good. I was doing shit that like most people don't do. And like I said at the beginning of this podcast, as as much as comparison and outside validation and, and whatever isn't what I thrive off of, I am still human. And it feels good for my ego to be like, I'm doing a hard thing that most people can't. And so I really got into running here in the last few months and it was really fun for me. Got a new watch, got the new shoes, hired a coach, and I was getting after it. And um, my body was saying no. Like, my body was really, really saying no. I had lost my period. I lost probably nine pounds within a two-month period. <laughs> I said I lost my period, and then I said the word period again. Um Within a two-month time frame, I lost probably nine pounds, and that's a lot on my 5'3 frame, who only was, like, 122. And so, like, my body was really communicating to me that it wasn't healthy. I didn't have an appetite, couldn't keep weight on as much as the running was going well, and I was going further, and I was going faster. Um, the, the way that my body was communicating to me, I was ignoring the first month I lost my period, I was like, oh, my body's just adjusting. I'm going really hard. Like, it just needs to to acclimate to the new training. Second month, I was like, oh, well, it's still adjusting. I'll try to eat a little more. We'll see what happens. And then third month, I missed my period. It was like nine days late at that point. And I was like, okay, I need to have this really uncomfortable conversation with myself that like, Although I'm having so much fun running, this is bad for my health. The fact that my body is so exhausted and so stressed that it doesn't even have the proper resources to do what it's most naturally meant to do is to have a period, um, which I think arguably is the most important thing that my body can do is to stay hormonally healthy so that I can have kids one day. Um, that was really alarming for me. Like I finally had to have that confrontational conversation with myself and it came up in an ayahuasca ceremony. Um, as things usually do, we can pull this veil over our eyes in our everyday life and our egos can tell us one thing, the monkey chatter. We we're really good at justifying, um, different things in our minds. But I think in ayahuasca and plant medicine, it peels all those layers back and it's just you and truth and so I had to have that hard conversation to stop running and that's where the whole identity crisis comes in is I don't know what I'm doing right now I don't know what I'm training for I don't know what happens next and so I'm still lifting obviously that's really important to me just maintaining like a strong base and having muscle mass and all of those things but I don't know what comes next. There's no date on the calendar. There's no race coming up. There's no competition. And I think that's a good thing because when I have that date on the calendar, I, I take stuff to the extreme. Hence the running 40 miles a week and losing my period. 
Um, it's a good thing in that way, but it's also a challenging thing in that I feel lost and I know I will figure it out. And I know this is like a first world problem. There are much, much scarier and worse things happening in the world than like, oh, like I can't train. I don't know what to do. But um, it's real for me and it's big for me. And so that's why I'm talking about it. I think everyone can relate in some way of having this thing that they heavily attach their identity to um, and then it kind of being taken away from them. Um, and so I'm figuring that out right now. It's been maybe three weeks since I stopped running and I'm really able to feel my body's cues again and feel the way my body is communicating to me again, which for three, four months I couldn't. Um, you know, for 12 years leading up to when I started to run, my period was so regular and I knew what day of my cycle it was and I could tell by my mood and I could tell what my body was saying and every single day, every single moment I could predict like down to the hour when my period was going to come. And then, and then it was like radio silence for a few months, for a few months, which was scary. Um, so these last few weeks that, that in tuneness with my body is coming back, which is really exciting. And running a race is not worth giving that up. Um, and so however challenging it is, it's beautiful. And that's really important to me to be able to see the beauty and what my body is meant to do and what it can do. You know, I could have this, this bitterness around like, why, why are, why can other women do it? Because so many women run long distance races and their bodies are fine and they can keep the weight on and they have their periods and it's healthy and it's balanced and so many women can do that and that's awesome and I'm so glad that they can and then of course men really don't even have to worry about hormone fluctuation at all they just have a 24-hour testosterone cycle and that doesn't really matter and so I could say like why can those women do it and why can men do it as a whole and like why not me I I can play the victim and be really bitter about what my body was incapable of, or I could see the beauty and what my body is able to do elsewhere and really hone in on my priorities, which is being a mom someday and raising the future generation, which feels more important than running a race. And so it feels good to make this decision. Something being challenging does not mean it's the wrong decision. Grieving does not mean it was the wrong decision. I think so many people struggle with the idea of nuance, like it's very black or white, good or bad, this or that. But I have loved in the last like probably year or so really being intentional about, intentional about sitting in the nuance in the gray area of life and knowing that two things can be true at once. This can be the right decision, but it can also be hard. This can be the beautiful, most fulfilling decision, but it can also make me a little sad. It can also make me feel like I'm missing out and that's okay too. And I remember I went to Costa Rica this past January and, and that place is just so healing and grounding for me. And, and I was talking out this scenario with one of the girls I was with. And as I was talking out loud, I realized it, it was about setting boundaries, which is really appropriate for what we're gonna talk about today when I get into the advice giving that uh, listeners wrote in, but we're talking about boundaries and spending time with certain people and this or that. 
And as I was talking out loud, I realized, oh, I have a pattern of being very black or white. Like there is just no gray, gray area in my life. And so for the past 10, 11 months or so, I've been really intentional about sitting in the gray area. And it's been so freeing to understand that so many things can exist at once and it doesn't always have to be this cut and dry thing. And that was really helpful just invalidating because there are a lot of times we as humans are feeling conflicted things and we think we're crazy or, <laughs> or whatever. Um, but so many things can be true at once. And so that being said, we can get into um, what, what this podcast is about, which is listeners writing in about things they need advice on in their lives and me giving my take. The reason why I think this is a good segue is because it is about boundaries and a little bit about the, or the, I'm gonna, only going to do one submission today because it's a big one. Um, but the thing I was articulating to the girl in January back in Costa Rica about boundaries was this back and forth I was feeling around a relationship with my family. And I was really struggling because when you go on this healing journey, I'll speak for myself. When I was on my healing journey, it was very easy for me to build resentment and want to put distance in between myself and my family. Reason being, I was uncovering a lot of childhood stuff that left me with pain, left me with stories, conditioning, trauma, which everyone has. This is not a jab at anyone in my family or my parents. I've had this conversation with them individually, so that's why it's fine that I'm saying this publicly. Um, but every single person has pain from their childhood. And when I began my healing journey, of course, all of that was coming up for me. And that was almost all I could focus on. And being around my family felt like a painful reminder of all of those things. And so I was having this battle of, I love them. I want to be around them. They're my family to... On the other side, they're triggering, you know, they have, they are still partaking in patterns that I've since released and I don't want to be sucked back into and all of those things. And, and in my mind, the answer was I either distance myself completely and I don't talk to them or I get over it. I give into the guilt and I talk to them all the time. And as I was saying this out loud, I was like, oh, like, well, it doesn't have to be that way. It can be both at once. It can be you know, I spend time with them and I see them when I feel called, when it feels appropriate, and when I'm feeling triggered or when I need space, I take that space. Like, I can have both. And I was like, whoa, this gray area is sick. I love it. <laughs> it makes so much more sense than the way I was seeing things before. And I think this topic of nuance is so important. I was talking to one of my clients the other day. I will eventually get into the submission. I'm just really vibing with what we're talking about right now. But, um, this topic of nuance, I was talking with a client the other day about like, where did it come from? Like, why is it so hard for people to get out of black and white thinking? And I don't think people understand how common it is. Like with politics, especially, um, it's like, if someone doesn't agree with me, they're the most horrible person. If someone does agree with me, like they're like, I love everything about them. It's very like right or wrong, black or white. You're the worst. You're the best. Um, you either 
agree with me or you hate my existence. And so it's really common in politics. That's the most glaring example I can think of. But just in general, there's not a lot of nuance in our beliefs in our society. And I'm wondering, where did it come from? And my theory is, as toddlers, of course, everything goes back to our childhood. I genuinely believe that. Um, when, when we're toddlers or when we're kids and, and we don't have critical thinking yet, everything is very black and white. You will never find a toddler that's like, oh, I kind of like cheese sometimes. It's like cheese is my favorite food or like, I don't want to fucking touch it. Or it's like, I'm in the best mood or I'm throwing a tantrum. There, Black and white thinking is obviously the only way our brains are able to operate when we are babies, when we are kids, before we have analytical minds, before we can critically think, before we can reason. And so that is how we begin our lives. That's how we begin to acclimate to the world when we are learning how to be human. And for a lot of us, we're never taught to see things differently because our parents don't know how to see things differently, right? It's It goes back to that cliche of like breaking the cycle. Um, we can't break the cycle if our parents don't know how to break the cycle, if their parents don't know how to break the cycle. And so it's through having these conversations. It's through hiring a coach. It's through getting really intentional about understanding our patterns that we can break the cycle um, for ourselves now in the present moment and for the next generation. And so that's where I think our black and white thinking comes from is we're never taught anything else because our parents don't know anything else and so on and so on back to the beginning of time. Um, and so here we are having these conversations, learning to live in the gray area where it's much more peaceful, where we can say, like, oh, this person doesn't agree with me and that's okay. Or I can't do the training that I want to do anymore and that's okay. Or my family is triggering for me sometimes and that's okay. That's one of my favorite phrases that really helps me to find peace in the world is, is just that's okay. Like everything becomes okay as soon as you decide that you're okay with everything. And so... All that being said, let's get into our first submission about boundaries. I have it screen here, screenshotted here on my laptop, and um, I'm going to pull it up if you're wondering what I'm up to, what I'm looking at. Also, for those who aren't on the video recording, I forgot to do a fit check. Let's check in. Um, I'm sitting in my closet once again. As always, my comfy, safe space. I'm wearing a white oversized crew neck again. Different from last week, though. Last week was light gray, although it looks like the same outfit. I'm wearing a, a burnt, like, dark crimson red um, beanie, Adidas beanie, because it's winter now. I almost put on um, reindeer ears. I've been wearing those around the house because it's winter and Christmas is coming soon. But I'll do that next week once I put on the beanie. I was convinced. Um, sitting on the floor of my closet, covered in fuzzy blankets as always, but white crew neck, Adidas beanie, and that's the vibes that you're missing out on right now if you're not watching the video. But, okay, I posted a tweet. Here, let's get into our submissions from our girlies and our friends that listen. I posted a tweet, and I said, ironically, it's the people that are hardest to love that need love the most. 
And before I read the submission, which is a response to that tweet, that's why I'm referencing it. The submission is a response to that tweet. Um, before I read the submission, let me dive into what that means to me. The people that are hardest to love are the ones that need love the most. If someone is negative, if someone is combative, if someone is hurtful, if someone has an addiction problem, you know, all of these things that make someone quote unquote hard to love, that truthfully, truthfully just means they are hurting. No one who is genuinely happy, healed, aligned, you know, living out their purpose deep inside is going to be walking around angry, is going to be walking around saying hurtful things, is going to be yelling at the barista in Starbucks, is going to be, you know, flipping people off in traffic. Um, side note, that's been a, a, a very noticeable thing I've noticed over the last few years of me doing this work to heal is like no road rage. I'm never in a rush on the road anymore, which is interesting. But nobody who is acting out that way is happy, healed, and aligned inside. They are hurting. They, they aren't loving themselves. They aren't having love for themselves. They aren't having compassion for themselves. They aren't taking care of themselves mentally. Anyone who's incessantly angry is really angry at themselves, is really struggling in their lives. And so that's why I mean they're the ones that need love the most. There are the ones that feel they are unworthy of love. They are the ones living lives where like maybe they have a job they don't like. Maybe they're in a marriage that isn't fulfilling for them. And so they're projecting all this negativity out into the world. Um, and that's what I mean by people that are hardest to love need love the most because they aren't giving it to themselves. And the more we can give it to them, maybe the more they'll see that they're worth it and they'll be more at peace and they'll be more kind and they'll be more compassionate. As corny as it sounds, I recognize it sounds corny and I'm only giving this preface that it's corny because I don't want to lose you. I understand it sounds very spiritual woo-woo hippie, but I genuinely think compassion is the answer to changing the world. When you are yelling back at these people, they can't hear you. They cannot hear you. And so they need love the most. And so let's give it to them. And that is how they heal. They need to know that they're worthy of love and that they can give it to themselves first and foremost. And that's how we change a lot. Um, so think of anyone in your life who's really hard to love. And I guarantee you can figure out how much they aren't loving themselves and how much they need love. They need love the most. And so all that being said, that tweet that I made of the people that are hardest to love are the ones that need love the most. I got a response from a listener and she said, can you talk about this on your podcast? Like when, when or how to know to draw the line when you've been there for someone with no love or support in return for so long, you even let them have their episodes on you when it has nothing to do with you, but you feel like this time sealed the deal and you want to leave their life, but would feel guilty if something bad were to happen to them. Oh, this is a good one. This is a big one. Um, I, I honestly don't even know where to start because this is a topic of boundaries. This is a topic of honoring ourselves. This is a topic about compassion. And this can go in so many different directions. 
Um, so I first, I think the, the most glaring thing I want to say first, and as always, guys, I don't plan these responses. Like when I hit record on this podcast, I don't know what's going to come up. We're 30 minutes in of me just rambling about things that I didn't know I would ramble about. So I don't have an answer planned. So please stick with me. <laughs> this might go a few different directions. Um, I think the most glaringly obvious first thing to say is do not abandon yourself and your needs in these situations. That's the number one thing I coach my clients on is not to abandon themselves in order to feel, in order to feel love, in order to feel acceptance, in order to feel validation, in order to give into someone else. Do not abandon yourself and your needs. I think that's number one. First and foremost, obviously, that's a generalization. There are many, many ways in which that might not apply. Like if, let's say you're a single mom, low income, and you know you need to feed your kids, some, some sacrifices for your own needs might be made. But you know what I'm saying. Don't abandon your own needs. I think that's first and foremost. If someone is hurting you, psychologically, verbally, mentally, physically, and you have to abandon your mental health, your physical health, your peace in order to keep them in your life, don't. Easier said than done, but hard does not mean impossible. And that comes with creating boundaries. It goes back to this conversation of nuance. Um, If you can love them and still be distanced from them. To create a boundary in your life and not let someone speak to you in a certain way, treat you a certain way, act out at you in a certain way does not mean you don't love them. And I think that is where things begin to get a little messy is when you create a boundary with someone, they do try to guilt you. Almost always, if you try to set a boundary with someone, the receiving person will try to test it. And that's where that guilt comes in. They'll try to push it. They'll try to be like, oh, it's never been like this before. In the past, you never cared. Why is it different now? Or like, oh, I'm just the worst now. You must hate me. And like, there's so many different ways that a person can test or push a boundary. And so that's usually what comes first. Like, oh, you must not love me. You must not care about me. I'm just the worst victim, victim, victim. Understand that when you set a boundary, you have to be prepared for that. Stand firm in your boundary because if you don't, I mean, they'll know that they that they can push you and, pu- and push you over every time. And so stand firm in that boundary and be prepared for the backlash. Know when you set a boundary and say, you can't talk to me this way or X, Y, Z, you can't treat me this way or X, Y, Z. This person said that, they're, that the other person had an episode on them. You can't lash out at me this way or X, Y, Z. Um, understand that there will be backlash. They will try to guilt you. They will try to test you, even if it's not verbally, even if they're, even if they're not playing the victim verbally, they will try to test you maybe in crossing that boundary again. So be prepared for the backlash and know that you have to stand firm in that boundary, no matter what. And remember the nuance, right? Me setting this boundary does not mean I don't love them, but it means I love myself it's this boundary is the only area in which I can love them and I can love myself at the same time. Remember that that's what a boundary is. It's like, I love you. 
but I still got to love myself too. And like, this is where it is. This is where that meets. This boundary is where those, those two forms of love can meet one another. And that's really important. So not abandoning your needs. And you asked like, when or how do you know when to draw the line is, is this causing you distress? I think that's simply it. Um, it may sound selfish of like, don't put yourself in situations of distress, you know, for someone else. But I think the only way we can show up fully in our lives is when we're taking care of ourselves. And so I think practicing knowing when to draw the line is like, is this causing me to stress? Is this something that's on my mind? Is this affecting my day-to-day life? Is this affecting my self-worth, my love for myself? Are there words hurting me? That is how you know when to draw the line because those people do not need access to you at the end of the day. They don't need access to you. Um, and you said you've been there for them with no love or support or support in return. And I think it's really important also to recognize that relationships are a give and take. Like there might be seasons of life where like with the Iron Man, for example, I was saying like he was really like low energy, um, preoccupied with his training. And so like there was a season of life where like he wasn't able to give me as much. But there have also been seasons of life where like I'm really low and I couldn't give him anything. So he had to carry more of the weight. And so recognizing that relationships are give and take through different seasons. But if it's been, you know, forever or an extended amount of time where you've gotten nothing from them in your life. And if the only time you're having these interactions is them taking from you, that is another red, red flag that you need to draw the line. And my coach self says you already know the answer. You would not have written this if you didn't need that confirmation and that validation of like, oh, I want to cut them out of my life or I want to create distance from them, but I don't know if I can. I don't know if I should. I don't know if I'm, if I'm allowed. And so here's that permission. I know that you want to because you wrote in the submission. And so I'm giving you that permission that you can, that you are allowed to put your well-being first, your peace of mind first, and not abandon yourself in these situations. Um, and so the, la- the last thing that you said is huge. You would feel guilty if something bad were to happen to them. This is a big one because this is something I really, really struggled with with my family of if I create this distance when I'm feeling triggered or when I feel like I'm being sucked back into old patterns or whatever, what if like they could die tomorrow? There's a lot of things that could happen to them. They could be in a car accident. My mom has a lot of health issues. She like anything could happen to her. I would never be able to to forgive myself if something bad happened to a family member after I created a boundary and cre- and put distance between me and them. I would never want any of my family members leaving this world thinking that I didn't love them. 
And that was really, really hard for me to get over. And I think this is the sticky point for creating boundaries is the guilt. Not always like, oh, they'll die tomorrow, but just in general, guilt in general, regardless of what reason you're feeling it. And this is the way that I talked myself off of that ledge. First of all, guilt doesn't serve anybody. Guilt and shame are like the lowest, lowest, lowest vibration that you can feel. And it's not serving you. It's not serving them by feeling it. And so I think just releasing it, obviously easier said than done, but challenging doesn't mean impossible. Just releasing that guilt. You, and whatever means necessary, um, affirmations, rope cutting ceremony, a release meditation, whatever you got to do to know that there is no room for guilt here and it's not serving anybody. Um, secondly, I, I played out the scenario so many times in my head because I'm like, okay, worst case scenario, they do die tomorrow. Then what? What's important is authenticity and living out our authentic truth in every single individual moment. And in this individual moment, I'm deciding that it is not serving me to have this communication, to have this person, I'm going to go back to your example, to have this person lash out at me, to have this person not giving me support. And it's serving my mental health and my peace of mind best in this moment to create a boundary and to create distance. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. All I know is what's true right now in the present moment and what's going to serve me and what's going to be healthy and loving for me right now. And that is distance, boundary, whatever. And that is what's the most important is authenticity and truth in every individual moment and honoring yourself, going back to what I said at the beginning, not abandoning our needs and honoring ourselves in every individual moment. My family member could die tomorrow. They could die in 10 years. They can die in 100 years. I don't know what the future holds, but I know what's true right now. And I know right now this relationship is causing me distress. And that's kind of how I talked myself off of that ledge of like, I can't live my life worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. I need to take care of myself right now. And worst case scenario, like if this horrible thing were to come true and something bad were to happen to them while we weren't on speaking terms or maybe they felt like I didn't love them because I created this boundary, that would make me sad. I would grieve and it would be hard, but that is okay because I was living as authentically and truthfully as I could. And so it goes back to that nuance of like, it might make me sad. It might be really hard. I'm, you know, it might, I might have some guilt, but that's okay. I can handle that when that comes. Because right now I know this is the best decision for me. And so just understanding that like s the decisions that you make may have challenging consequences in the future. This horrible thing that you're worried about may come true. Maybe something bad will happen to this person that you want to create a boundary with. That's okay. It, it's that gray area in life of like two things can be true at once. This boundary can need to be set. This boundary can be the best decision right now. It can be what's true and aligned and loving with me right now. But it can be what makes them think I don't love them. It can be, you know, maybe 
I'm going to really fill in the blanks here because I'm being really vague. Maybe this person has an addiction. That's what I'm going to assume just for the story's sake. Maybe this person has an addiction and that's why they're lashing out and that's why you're worried something bad will happen to them. That's why they need the support and they're not giving you anything in return. So let's go back to the, the gray area of the situation is draining and distressing to me, so I need to set this boundary, but they have an addiction and it's very likely something could go wrong without my support. Both of those things can be true at once. And so you have to be prepared when you make decisions for the consequences or the fallout or the outcome. And that outcome might be if something were to happen to them, that would be really sad and I would have to grieve and it would be really hard. That's okay. I can handle that when that time comes because the decision that I'm making right now has to be for my peace of mind. And so that's my advice for that. I don't think I have anything more to say on that topic. Um, I can do an episode on setting boundaries in general of how to set them and what to say and maybe maybe scripts to word them so that everyone feels seen and loved and, and there's compassion in the conversation. Um, I, maybe I can go into that right now is like when you set a boundary, make sure you're you don't have to. You can set it however you want. Um, but personally, I think it's important to word it in such a way that they still feel seen and loved and validated so that there isn't as much backlash and so that they know um, it's for your own good and there are valid reasons of why you're doing it. And so it can be something like, I know this is different from the way we've done things in the past, but I feel sad when you do, I feel sad when you lash out at me because X, Y, Z. And so just taking accountability, this is important, taking accountability for your own feelings and saying like, and, and not saying it's your fault that I feel this way, but saying like, I feel this way and I'm taking accountability for it. And so I'm taking the steps to remedy this feeling, which means no longer being around this behavior. Um, so not pointing fingers, taking accountability for your own feelings um, and just having compassion of like, I understand this boundary might be hard for you. It's different from what we've done in the past. And just being really understanding. Um, I It's not because I don't love you. It's because I'm feeling X, Y, and Z. I think that's a great way to set a boundary um, and just really entering it, enter, entering into this conversation with the preface of like, this person is not my enemy. I'm coming from a place of love. How can I say this lovingly? And that's a great way to have any conversation, but especially boundaries. Um, and like I said earlier, preparing for the fallout, preparing for the backlash of any choice like this that you have to make um, because it might be hard afterwards, but that doesn't mean it's not the right decision. Um, often our truth and our intuition leads us to the hardest decisions. Um, if that weren't the case, then everyone would be doing exactly what they love and be perfectly happy and peaceful and, and, all, and aligned and living their heart's purpose. But it's, it's not that simple. Following our heart and our intuition and our truth is the hardest path we can take. And that's why it can be sad and sticky and challenging to make these decisions and have these conversations and quit our jobs and following, follow our dreams because that path is the hard one. And so understanding that it takes courage and it takes just acceptance 
that the fallout will need to be dealt with. But also, it could be fine. And maybe it's that. It could be fine. Maybe setting this boundary with this person will instill some self-reliance in them instead of having to lean on you. Maybe it will be a wake-up call for them. And maybe they will get their self together and support themselves and learn some lessons and come out of this stronger. Like maybe it will be fine. Maybe it will be great. And that's okay. Whatever, whatever outcome happens, detach yourself from that and just make the decision that's most aligned, true, and honest for right now. And whatever else happens, it's okay. Everything is okay once you decide to be okay with everything. Whew, thank you for that submission. Um, like I said, we're only doing one today because that was a big one and I knew it would take up um, a lot of time. And I was really, I'm, I'm really happy that I had the space to talk about all of that. I always have so many different things I want to say and things I want to teach to people and opinions and tools and lessons I want to share, but I don't exactly know how to package it. And so this long form way of just being able to say all the things and kind of having some direction because I'm talking to someone that submitted, but being able to free flow with it feels really good. And so thank you for that submission and giving me the space to share all of those things. I personally, myself, am a boundary snob. Um, I set boundaries like a motherfucker, okay? I won't say it's easy. Like, boundaries are hard for the most part. But I would, like, I would much rather 100% of the time deal with the challenge than, than abandon myself then abandon my needs and my own peace of mind and the love that I have for myself. And so I, I prefer, I say this all the time, I prefer to have hard conversations over any other kind of conversation because that's how progress is made in life. Um, that's how truth is told. And that's how healing is had, is these kinds of conversations. And I prefer them. I would rather talk about the hard shit than the weather. Like when I do small talk, I just want to crawl out of my skin. Um, and so I'm a boundary snob and having those hard conversations is like the, the foundation of a lot of my life um, because I prefer it over anything else. And so um, I love talking about them. I love pouring into people and hyping them up and giving them permission to set them because you can and not one bad thing has ever happened in my life as a result of me honoring my own needs. Never. Not one. It's not always been easy, but the version of me that's come out on the other side or the life that's unfolded because of it or, or what have you has always been for me. For my happiness, for my own self-love. And that's not selfish because when you're your best self, everyone in your life gets the best version of you. And so... Not one bad thing has ever come of me setting a boundary, regardless of how hard that boundary was to set. And wouldn't you know, everyone in my family is still alive. They're alive and kicking. They're fine. And because of those boundaries being set and me getting space from them and me kind of, you know, 
finding myself without their influence, I was able to release a lot of resentment and heal my wounds during that time. And now being around them isn't triggering. Now I don't feel painfully reminded of my past. And now I don't feel like I'm getting sucked back into old patterns. And I, and I have more space to stay centered and grounded when I'm around them. And so I'm not judging them when I'm around them. I'm more accepting of them when I'm around them. And I can spend more quality, happy, loving time around them. And that is because I've made the hard decision to set the boundary and be accepting of the outcome of like something bad could happen to them tomorrow. And that would suck. But I have to make this decision for me right now. And all of them are still fine. That's usually it. The worst case scenario that we think never happens. It sometimes does. But we have, you know, we have the strength and the tools to get through it. But it, it almost never does. And so know that too, that this worst case scenario of, of if you draw the line and, and cut this person out of your life, something bad could happen to them, but it probably won't. That is worst case scenario. And it's just probably not likely. Um, and so that's my advice for today, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, once again, if this audio quality is top notch, that means I edited this shit correctly and I'm happy. If it's not good, I'm sorry. I'll try again next time. Um, don't forget to write in to the girls just want to have friends podcast um the email that you can write into your submissions is girls just want to have friends at gmail.com um that is wanna w-a-n-n-a not want to so girls just want to have friends at gmail.com um you can text into the my community texting app that I have, which is 317-644-3966. I'm doing that from memory, so I'll have it written in the description if what I just said wasn't right. Um, you can write into my social media platforms. Twitter is Jungle Leah with an extra A on the end of Leah, so Jungle L-E-A-A. And then my Instagram is jungle period Leah, no extra A. So just L-E-A. Um, and those are all the ways that you can write in your submissions for this um, podcast. Last thing before I go, I am looking for someone to help me make a theme song for this podcast. I think it's so fun to have like a little intro and a little outro just to get the energy moving and grooving and flowing. And so I want to make a fun little song. And so if you know anyone or if you yourself are a songwriter, producer, vocals, all the things that go into making a song, let me know and we can collaborate. And I would love to help bring to life, you know, some more elements of this podcast. And thank you guys so much for listening. I'm going to try to make these episodes every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Central. This week it's Wednesday because I was driving back from Florida. Um, but every Tuesday, 12 p.m. Central, tune in and this podcast will be posted. I love you guys so much. I'm so happy to be doing this and I'll see you next week. Bye.